the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In the wake of Uvalde, the White House comes out against hardening schools. Conversation about hardening schools, that is not something that he believes in. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says they will vote on an assault weapons ban. My prediction is it will result in more laws of life than the current type situation. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen admits she was wrong on inflation. Look, I, I think I was wrong then. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, June 2nd. I'm Mike Scott. As grieving family members of the victims of the Uvalde, Texas shooting attend funerals, law enforcement officials in Uvalde have asked the media to leave the school district headquarters or they will be criminally charged with trespassing. Pedro Pete Arredondo, the Uvalde school police chief, who led the flawed law enforcement response to last week's school shooting, has remained out of the public eye. Yet CNN's Aaron Cooper was able to confront the embattled police chief. We're not going to release anything. We have we have people in our community being buried. So, so right. we're going to be respectful. I, I just want your reaction we're gonna, we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna be, the director McGraw saying gonna, that you were responsible for the decision right. we're to go be, into that room. How do you explain yourself? We're going to gonna be respectful to the family. I understand and, that. And, you have and an opportunity. Going, oh, and sure, and we're, to explain and we're gonna, yourself to the parents. And just so you know, we're going to we're going to do that eventually, obviously. When? And whenever this is done, and let the, the families quit grieving. Then we'll do that, obviously. And just so we have, just so everybody, and just so everybody, just so everybody feels. knows, we've been in contact with DPS every day. Just so you all know, they say you're every not, day. They say that you're not cooperating. I've, I've been on the phone with them every day. Just they so you say you're not cooperating. So can, just, just two just, seconds. Just, just, two, just, just so you know, we've been talking to them every day. What, what, I, is, I your, what is your reaction? Y'all, y'all to have you? a good day. What is your reaction, sir? At the White House, spurred on by the recent events in Uvalde and Buffalo. Many Republican lawmakers are discussing the hardening of schools by providing money for more security resources, law enforcement officers, or even arming teachers. The Biden administration is solely focused on gun control. According to White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, the administration doesn't believe in hardening schools when it comes to uh, when it comes to schools and and I don't know what he said specifically about about schools I know there's been a conversation about hardening schools that is not something that he believes in he believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools um, and this is something that uh, he's been focusing on uh, since he was a vice vice president so those are two things that he does not agree on. Senator and former Florida Governor Rick Scott joined the Salem Radio Network discussing legislation he was able to pass after the Pulse nightclub and Parkland shootings in the state of Florida to make schools safer. If you remember, uh, I'd I'd had the terrorist attack at the Pulse nightclub before that. And so with that, what what I did there was we added additional terrorist threat teams all across the state with our Florida Department of Law Enforcement. 
because what we're whole focus on this is let's solve the problem at hand, right? And so when, when Parkland happened, we immediately within, I think, two or three days, we put together three teams of people, one focused on mental health, one focused on, on the educators from the schools, and one focused on law enforcement. What should we do? As we all know, a lot of this is mental health issues. And so we, we, we focused on how do we make sure we start doing real assessments uh, of students that have problems and required that they happen. Um, at the at the at these schools, so we don't have uh, you know we don't have people just turning a blind eye because when, when Parkland happened, a lot of people said, oh, we always knew it was going to be that guy. That was the guy we always thought it would be, and so that can't happen if you stop and think about it. That should never happen. Scott says the state of Florida took major steps to secure their schools. One thing that's common is that people say, oh yeah, that that would be the guy. Of course, yeah, that's what we all thought. Well, that, we, that can't be happening, right? I mean, these are our kids and our grandkids. So that's one thing we did. Then the next thing we did is we put, uh, we, um, we put additional uh, resources in to, um, to make sure we harden our schools. And then we required all of our um, schools, our public schools, all of them had to have law enforcement, law enforcement officers on duty when they're open. And they had to do drills and they had to get ready in case something like this happened. So it wasn't like, oh, gosh, what do we do now? Can we pull out the book? No, everybody, the students, the teachers, the faculty, everybody had to be, say, you know, to say, OK, we know what to do. Right. So we, so we did that. Scott goes on to say that his administration made sure that every Florida school had what they needed to implement safety measures. Many of them are already doing it. They were teaming up with their sheriff's departments and police departments. Uh, and they were funding their own programs. And so we supplemented that. But every school had the resources. There was no question about it. Every school had the resources to have, you know, at least one um, law enforcement officer whenever they were open. And then we went through and we put together uh, at, at the state level as the, through the Department of Education, we, we appointed an individual there, uh, Damian Kelly, and his responsibility was to make sure and monitor whether our schools were doing uh, the job of making the school safer. Scott explains the one specific way Florida implemented its red flag law. Then what we did is we said, we said um, that, you know, if you if you you shouldn't have access to a gun, if you're threatening harm to yourself, you're threatening harm to somebody else, or you have mental illness. And so we said. You, you couldn't do it on you. You couldn't. Uh, nobody could do it except through the law enforcement. You had to go to the sheriff's department, police department, and they could go to court. When discussing how sometimes it seems as if the FBI drops the ball on some of these gunmen, Scott says law enforcement agencies need to do a better job of sharing information. One thing we all can do better is every branch of law enforcement uh, and everybody is just always constantly figure out how how do we share information better. Scott went on to say he doesn't understand why some lawmakers are against hardening schools. I want these schools hardened. I want I want our teachers. I want our teachers very comfortable. They can they can focus their time on teaching. I want our kids and our parents focused on. They know that they can go to a safe school. You, I mean, we do it at our airports. We, I mean, we, we protect our homes. I mean, why wouldn't we protect our schools? The most precious resource I have is my kids and my grandkids. And so, I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? This, this doesn't make any sense. This comes as there are reports of another shooting, this time in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Police said four are dead, as well as the suspected gunman 
following an active shooter situation in which he killed himself in a medical facility. Now to some breaking news. Authorities are at the scene of a deadly shooting near an Oklahoma hospital. Tulsa police are going floor to floor to evacuate the medical building on the St. Francis Hospital campus. They say multiple people were shot and some are dead. The suspected gunman is also dead. It's unclear if he was shot or if it was self-inflicted. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms is also on scene assisting with the investigation. The investigation into that shooting in Tulsa is still ongoing. And the Daybreak Insider podcast will update this story as soon as more information becomes available. To the ongoing war in Ukraine, the U.S. will send Ukraine four very sophisticated medium-range rocket systems and ammunition to help try and stall Russian progress in the eastern Donbass region of that country. But it will take at least three weeks to get the precision weapons and trained personnel into the battlefield, according to the Pentagon. Colin Call, the Defense Undersecretary for Policy, said the U.S. has received assurances at the highest government levels that Ukraine will use the rockets to defend its nation and not launch them into Russia. The Undersecretary of Defense, Call, says the systems will not be on the battlefield for at least a few weeks. These aren't turnkey. These, of course, are systems that the Ukrainians need to be trained on. Uh, We think that'll take around three weeks. Uh, And they need to uh, know not just how to use the systems, but, of course, how to maintain uh, the systems. So think of uh, logistics, maintenance, uh, things like that. So it'll be a number uh, of of weeks uh, until that training is complete. Call went on to assure reporters that Ukraine continues to promise not to use the rocket systems to strike outside of that country. They've given us their assurances that they're not going to use these systems for striking Russian territory, and we trust the Ukrainians will live up to those assurances. This announcement comes as the governor of Luhansk in eastern Ukraine says that troops are withdrawing from the frontline city of Severodonetsk in the face of a Russian advancement. However, the governor says they have a fallback plan and will continue to fight against invading Russian troops. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that House Democrats will soon consider legislation banning so-called military-style assault weapons, marking the most aggressive response from Congress to date following last week's shooting massacre at a Texas elementary school. House Democrats have already scheduled a vote next week on so-called red flag legislation designed to keep weapons from potentially violent people who could do harm. One of the proposals would prohibit the sale, transfer, import, and manufacturer of 205 models of semi-automatic rifles named in the bill. The Speaker acknowledges that no one reform proposal will end violence with guns in America, but she believes that even small steps may save lives. Richard A. Epstein is a James Parker Hall Distinguished Service Professor, Emeritus of Law at the University of Chicago, and joined the Salem Radio Network discussing what he believes is the futility of gun control measures. One of the things that we do know is that a rational, I use the word in quotes, pervert, um, a gun killer determined on killing many people will pick a soft target. That is a place where he's confident that nobody will be having guns who could resist him. If schools are gun-free zones, that's the place in which you're going to go. Schools are also extremely effective as a target 
because it's very difficult to keep secure. What happened in Uvalde, of course, was one teacher left a door open through which this thug and miscreant was able to enter into the building. Epstein says it is his opinion that if an assault-style weapon ban were to go into effect, it may cause more harm than good. The first question to ask about this is, notwithstanding the applause and the rhetoric, what do we expect to be the uh, anticipated direction of the number of deaths that take place if the ban were put into effect? And given the fact that we're starting from a very low base and that there are, as you said, two millions of weapons that are still out there, many of which could be stashed, all of which could be modified to defeat the ban that Joe wants to put into place, my prediction is it will result in more laws of life than the current type of situation. Epstein explains that with legislation, there are always trade-offs to think about. It's extremely important to remember that when people are talking about legislation of this sort, the law of unintended consequences always holds. You do a statute for one particular purpose, and you may be able to achieve it sort of, but there's an unintended consequence which may be more important and move in the opposite direction. So uh, the real lesson to learn under these circumstances is before you start to go in very strong directions, either one way or another, what you have to do is to think about not only the things that you want to happen, but the things that are likely to happen, to think less in terms of dogmatism and more in terms of the kinds of trade-offs that you're going to have to face. The professor went on to say that if a ban is implemented, lawmakers will only strip guns from law-abiding citizens. Let's be very clear about it. If you tell people that they have to turn in their weapons, uh, honest and God-fearing and lawful people will do that, and criminals and thugs and madmen will not. So what will happen is the ratio of guns in the hands of bad people to good people will start to go up. And when that starts to happen, it's more likely that the bad people will use the guns that they have because they're less likely to face consequences. President Joe Biden on Wednesday said he was not briefed on the prospect of nationwide shortages of infant formula for about two months. As he acknowledged that the strain was growing on families while his administration struggles to address the basics of the situation. Yet company executives at a meeting Biden hosted from the White House told the president that they knew the substantial impact the shutdown of a major production plant in February would have on the U.S. supply chain almost immediately. The president acknowledged he knows families are feeling the strain of the formula shortage. Look, uh, as a father and a grandfather, and I'm sure we all feel this way, understand how difficult this shortage has been for families all across the country. There's nothing more stressful than the feeling you can't get what your child needs. The president tried to claim that the Abbott plant closure's impact caught everyone off guard. I don't think anyone anticipated the impact of the shutdown of one facility uh, in uh, and uh, the, the, the Abbott facility. Reckitt's senior vice president, Robert Cleveland, says his company, which makes Enfamil, says it was immediately clear the Abbott plant shutdown would be a major problem. We knew from the very beginning this would be a very serious event. Biden went on to say they need to keep pushing until the shortage ends. Stay focused. Stay in high gear. We can't let up in the infant, in the infant formula market back uh, until it's all the way back to normal. And that's going to take a couple more months, but we're making significant progress. 
The Biden administration acknowledged Tuesday that it was wrong to downplay the threat of rising inflation last year as the White House works to combat rising consumer prices that have hamstrung Joe Biden's presidency. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen downplayed the risk of inflation in March of 2021 and two months later said she didn't anticipate inflation would be a problem. Is there a risk of inflation? Um, I, I think there's a small risk and I think it's manageable. I don't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem, but it is something that we're watching very carefully. Biden then signed his $1.9 trillion COVID-19 rescue plan into law, providing a boost in spending that his critics and many experts blame for accelerating inflation. During an interview with CNN, Yellen admitted she was now wrong about the threat of inflation. Look, I I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I at the time didn't fully understand. The secretary's admission is the most direct concession yet from the White House that they failed to grasp the scale of inflation that would come into the U.S. as it recovered from the coronavirus pandemic. The news comes as Jamie Dimon, chief executive at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, gave a warning about the economy, saying Americans need to brace themselves for what he called an economic hurricane caused by the Fed, rising inflation, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Also on Tuesday, the Department of Education announced it would cancel $5.8 billion in student loan debt for 560,000 borrowers who attended the now-defunct network of for-profit colleges known as Corinthian. The white-hot demand for U.S. workers cooled a bit in April, though the number of unfilled jobs remains extraordinarily high, and companies are desperate to hire more. Daybreak Insider correspondent Ben Thomas has details inside those job numbers. The Labor Department says employers were advertising fewer jobs at the end of April than in March, but remained at 11.4 million. March's figure, 11.9, was the highest on records that date back 20 years. At that level, there are nearly two job openings for every unemployed person. It's a sharp reversal from the historic pattern, Before the pandemic, there were always more unemployed people than available jobs. Meantime, the number of people quitting their jobs also remains near a record high, 4.4 million in April. At these levels, employers are forced to pay more to attract and keep workers. That's driving solid wage gains, particularly for those who switch jobs. Ben Thomas, Washington. The defamation suit involving actors Johnny Depp, star of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and Amber Heard came to its conclusion after six weeks of court hearings. Depp sued Heard for defamation, alleging $50 million in damages following a piece Heard wrote for the Washington Post back in 2018, even though Heard denies that the op-ed piece was about Depp. The jury found Heard liable for all three claims of defamation and ordered her to pay Depp $15 million in damages. 
Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Has Mr. Depp proven by a greater weight of the evidence that question, the statement was made or published by Ms. Hurd? Answer, yes. The sta question, the statement was about Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Question, the statement was false. Answer, yes. Question, the statement has a defamatory implication about Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven by clear and convincing evidence that Ms. Hurd acted with actual malice? Answer, yes. The jury did find Depp liable for one claim of defamation and ordered him to pay Hurd $2 million. And finally, President Joe Biden hailed Admiral Linda Fagan as new commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard and the Armed Forces' first female service chief during a change of command ceremony on Wednesday. Fagan was previously the service's second in command and has worn the Coast Guard uniform for more than four decades on all seven continents. Admiral Fagan says she's excited to keep on serving. You are the world's best Coast Guard. I am honored and humbled to serve alongside you as we look to the future. Fagan is the 27th Commandant of the Service, dating back to the 1915 establishment of the modern Coast Guard. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter, each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and Townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.